Hey, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. If you're at home, if you're on a couch, chair, if you're at your desk, if you are at a picnic table enjoying the outdoors, it's great to have the opportunity to be with you today here for a moment. Really honored to get to share with you and for all of us to just take these moments to worship the Lord and to look to his word. So to do that, I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible, you might want to open it to 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to read just a few brief verses from the opening of that chapter, 2 Chronicles 20. So open your eyes and ears, open your hearts to hear the word of God. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Mayonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And these words are true, and they can be trusted. Would you bow your hearts with me for a moment? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice now to worship you, O oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear, and let it be a sweet sound in your ear. Amen. Well, if COVID-19 is anything, it's proving to be a test of leadership. Men and women facing unimaginable dilemmas of closing non-essential everything, of weighing out the saving of lives against the dismantling of an economy. I mean, you and I are living in a leadership furnace, proving and purifying the metal of decision makers in government, business, healthcare, education, and church all at once, all over the world, which is an unusual opportunity for you as seminarians to think about the kind of leader, shepherd, intercessor you are, or you will be in a church and world that is already changed by this and will really never be quite the same. But the biggest question in all of that is what does this all mean, actually mean? We know what it's doing. I mean, COVID-19 has dismantled our idolatries. It all broke out in Seattle, the seat of global technology and innovation, where the world looks for answers. So humbling to us. And then it soon shut down all sports, youth leagues, March Madness, professional basketball and baseball, the Olympics. Then the theaters closed, Hollywood screeching to a halt, Disney parks closing all over the world indefinitely. Then Wall Street was shaken with the economy heaving and swaying as national government flooded the system with money. Ingenuity, entertainment, celebrity, wealth, all our idolatries silenced by a microscopic organism. Corona has been the great equalizer, heads of states and homeless, the famous and the obscure, 184 nations of the world all on equal footing facing an invisible enemy against which our only weapons are soap and six feet. The earth 
has had a Sabbath. Goats wandering through towns in Wales. Air quality in Los Angeles, the best in four decades. Fish returning to once polluted rivers. And the church has been driven into our homes by the coronavirus, giving us a taste of what Christianity is really like in places where it's really actually thriving today, in small underground fellowships, tiny micro churches of families, many of our religious idolatries, idolatries, sipping coffee in hip facilities to hear talented and inspiring speakers accompanied by gifted, well-produced musicians. I mean, the plug's been pulled on all of that. All of our live-streamed Zoom version online replicas, though well-intended, they, they are an inadequate substitute, which offers amazing opportunity to the Christian movement here in America because this crisis is not an event. It's much more prolonged, more elongated and ongoing than that, to result possibly in a different church that will come out of shelter in place than the one that actually went in when things closed down. This is going on long enough to cut new grooves, to build whole new paradigms and habits that we could once keep once we come out of shelter in place. COVID-19 is doing all of this. That's what it does. But what does it mean? What does this season in our lives really mean? How are we to see it? I mean, of course, we first act and pray for the sick and grieving, for the vulnerable and, and, and lonely, for healthcare workers, the afraid. But then we're at the crossroads for spiritual leaders of how to interpret Corona, how to make sense of it. What does it mean? How possibly to see all of this as God sees it and then to act as he requires. That's the test of leadership. That's the juncture we're hung in right now. And really the question for you. So we look for a moment to a leader in scripture for some cues. We just read Jehoshaphat had succeeded his father Asa as king of Judah about somewhere in the middle of the ninth century BC when he was 35 years old and he reigned for 25 years, one of Judah's best kings. Um, they're the, definitely the greatest since the time of Solomon. Very effective, leading the, the nation to prosperity and renewed piety. The Moabites, neighboring Judah, had formed a powerful confederacy with the Ammonites and other surrounding nations to make war on Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles begins that way. And that's not too far removed really from what we're, been, we're currently facing. I mean, the Surgeon General has called COVID-19 our Pearl Harbor. The Pentagon has been engaged for weeks with Navy hospital ships on the coasts and two Army field hospitals activated. French President Macron declared war on the virus in what he called Operation Resilience, activating France's considerable military apparatus to unprecedented peacetime levels. So some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the sea, and that was the Dead Sea. And then now let's just break apart Jehoshaphat's response. Let's unpack his words. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved 
to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all Judah. First, alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved. And many, many times, these words, in the moments when people are looking to leaders and needing them the most, the only thing between alarmed and resolved, between freaked out and firmed up, is the woman or man standing in the role, in, in the middle of what, it, because what we're looking at here, alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved, what we're seeing is Jehoshaphat's reflex. Alarmed to resolve. His, his instincts, which you and I don't have time to develop when the virus hits or the enemy strikes, it's been forming and emerging in us all along, for better or for worse. Which is why these years, these years of training and preparation and practice for you, why this moment is so important for you, because you're the, how we steward, how you steward this crisis, how you may develop those courageous leadership dispositions of shepherd and intercessor now, that will determine what will be there when you need them because your moment will come. Just like squeezing a sponge, there will be a moment when unexpected pressure will squash out of you what's been taking shape in your interior all along. Calamity reveals instincts, alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved. And Jehoshaphat's reflexes were good. To inquire of the Lord. So he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, here's my hope in these few minutes that I have with you today. Not to answer the question of what does COVID-19 mean. But maybe instead to come alongside you in meeting with God to, to ask that question to pursue that question, to inquire of the Lord. I'm not sure there is any more critically important impulse to develop in the spiritual leader than this, to inquire of the Lord, to seek to see as God sees. Not just going with our gut, which can be motivated by pleasing others or making a name for ourselves or avoiding unpopular responses, not just looking around at what everybody else is doing, not relying on past experiences. I mean, I was pastoring when 9-11 happened, but that crisis is so different from this one. No, instead, to inquire of the Lord, and for that, Jehoshaphat fasted. When Esther was in crisis, she called for a fast. Uh, with Daniel, Questioning how long Jerusalem's desolation would continue. Daniel 9.3 says, He turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in, in prayer and petition and fasting. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards used a day of fasting called in response to an epidemic of disease in Boston as the context for the most extensive sermon he ever wrote or preached on the topic of prayer. In colonial America, facing disease, but also threats to harvest, losses at sea, um, dangers from other nations, spiritual decline, heresy, more. Richard Gildred has tracked down how leaders in the Massachusetts Bay Colony were, were called together for, for days of prayer and fasting from 1682 to about to 1686, more than, more than half a century, at a rate of once every four months. Jehoshaphat called a fast for all of Judah. We may fast for protection or deliverance, for healing and 
and guidance, for provision and safety. But here, Jehoshaphat fasts for understanding, for discernment and revelation. Mike, Nos Mike uh, Mark Nicewander has written about this, how uh, crucial fasting is for seeing as God sees. Like, like Moses, he fasted for 40 days before receiving the revelation of the Ten Commandments. Or in Acts 13, the leader of the church coming together in, in, in the church in Antioch. They were worshiping and fasting when God gave them knowledge to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which he had called them. Fasting seems to just turn up the dimmer switch on illumination from God in Scripture, how we receive from Him through revelatory gifts of discernment and wisdom and prophecy and knowledge. Now, it's possible to be delusional in our fasting. There is fasting that God ignores. Like through Jeremiah, the Lord said, these people, although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Or through Zechariah, was it really for me that you fasted? God says, we can be so prone to self-deception that we have to inquire of the Lord to come into agreement with his view of our sin, to own with honesty our frailty, our fragility, our limits, our desperation for God, for what only he can do, all of which COVID-19 has probably been the best reminder in living memory. We're already kind of living in a forced fast. We're fasting meetings, fasting travel, fasting connections, fasting events and gatherings, fasting some availability of conveniences that we've always counted on. What could happen? What could we understand better if in this moment uh, we began to just say, if we converted this from a forced fast to an embraced fast, to embracing this assertion that our God is not our stomach. The indulgence and ease that we have known is, does not define us. We would much rather know the mind of Christ than to enjoy a temporary comfort. I know that for me, when I have added fasting to prayer, I've experienced a greater dismantling of pride, a, a deeper awareness of selfish preoccupations and mistaken impressions that I have had, I've repented of and gone back and attempted to remedy. And that has led at times to breakthroughs in situations that seemed beyond anything that I could have ever done on my own. It's because of value like that in fasting that John Wesley refused to take on any Methodist lay preacher who would not observe a weekly fast. So, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Second Chronicles goes on. Indeed, they came in from every town in Judah to seek him. It was a time of extraordinary prayer, voiced from a remarkable unity. People coming together from all over to fast and to inquire of, of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've been kind of noticing how People are coming together, churches are coming together, leaders are coming, are connecting usually by Zoom or other means, just to, to pursue unity across denominational lines, racial lines, size of church lines in ways that we've not, we hadn't seen, been watching that in January, February, but it certainly has begun to happen more in March now and in April. And there may be a time, a moment in your life, your shepherding, maybe it's already happening in your leadership, your intercession will call upon, upon you to, to gather 
leaders in your community, in your context to pray. Who of you would be willing to do that now? Maybe you already are. Whether you're still on campus or you're back at home or you were part of an you were already an online student, I wonder if you have found or could find a fasting partner, a friend with whom you could come together in a covenant of seeking, like Jehoshaphat before the people, echoing the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple, Second Chronicles 29, he prayed, if calamity comes upon us, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. It would take courage to enter the posture of the people of God all through Scripture, all through the history of the Christian movement, particularly awakening movements. It would take courage to take on a heart willing to consider calamity as a call to repentance. This kind of humble praying, not assigning cause to God for Corona, but being willing to wrestle in prayer with the reality that God would be acting rightfully to bring judgment on our prayerlessness, on our distraction, our self-absorption, our lack of concern for those who do not walk with him, coldness of faith in our churches, the deterioration of marriage and sexuality under our watch, our neglect of the poor, our apathy toward injustice, our disregard of creation. What does this mean? Would anyone have the courage to inquire of the Lord, to ask him that question? This, this, this deeply paralyzing, humbling moment, loving God, how do you see it? Calamity reveals instincts. And they tell us this is a moment for extraordinary prayer. But how should we pray? Father, how could we come into agreement with you as we pray? Those are the questions. Anyone out there willing to fast for the answers? Because this moment is like one that will come upon you sometime in your life, in your leadership, your shepherd, in your intercession. There will be that moment that will squeeze out of you what's been forming inside you all along. And maybe the biggest loss would be to come out of Corona with little more than wrapping up the semester during a long staycation having squandered the opportunity to inquire of the Lord. Amen.